Welcome to another episode of Imperfect Leaders. We're the first and only podcast that invites the most powerful leaders in the country and asks them to be totally vulnerable and share their flaws, their imperfections, and of course, their wisdom. Our goal isn't to embarrass guests, rather it's to inspire our listeners to become more self-aware and to get an early start developing the exact leadership skills valued by the country's most admired organizations. If you like the show, we invite you to subscribe for free at www.imperfectleaders.com. And until then, sit back and enjoy the show. Auburn University is a football powerhouse. It has been for as long as I can remember, ever since I was a little kid and beyond. No one considered Auburn a basketball contender. If you were a great basketball player in high school and you wanted to play in the iconic SEC conference, you went to Kentucky, not Auburn. But a guy named Coach Bruce Pearl, today's podcast guest, has changed all of this. Today, Auburn's basketball is considered a powerhouse. They were actually ranked number one in the country last year for many weeks. Their games are now on national TV all the time. They get the respect of top basketball analysts, including the great Charles Barkley, a famous Auburn alum. And most importantly, they get the respect of top high school players that now want to play at Auburn. And much of that can be attributed to Coach Bruce Pearl. He's completely changed the team's culture, their approach to leadership and teamwork, and their approach to life itself. Coach Pearl was recently recognized and awarded for his leadership success and offered a brand new, huge eight-year contract that will all but ensure he stays at Auburn until at least 2030. But no coach wins all the time. Everyone loses. Let's start off the conversation with a question on all of our minds. How do leaders and the players become more resilient? My job is to find a way for young people to be at their best when things are at their worst. Uh, it's amazing during in sport what momentum can do going one way uh, or the other. And uh, right now the momentum's going in a really bad way. So how can we stop that? How can we slow that tide? Um, I, I just make sure my players understand that, that adversity reveals character. It, it, it can build it, but it really reveals it. So when things are bad, we're gonna see what we're made of. We're gonna see what you're made of. You're on a boat and the seas are calm and the sun is setting and the winds are favorable. Man, there's no better place than being on that water. It starts to blow and it starts to chop and that thing starts to swell. That's when you need to have all hands on deck. That's when you see who's going to go for the life rafts and who's jumping overboard, who's panicking. And so being resilient is, is having the toughness, the confidence, the, the relationship with God, the faith, and the willingness to understand that this is just something that we're going to be able to get through and get on the other side of. But I think the bottom line is if there is such an opportunity to separate yourself when things aren't going well. It, it just is. And so, again, in teaching my young people, embrace the challenge of when things aren't great. Um, when you're winning and, and, and you're making every shot and things are good, it's, it's, uh, it's just easy. And, and, and when, it's, when it's not, that's when, that's when you're going to be challenged. And how quickly can you turn that around? And uh, so, so what I want to do is be honest about it. Here's the reality of it. And, um, and those of us that have the toughness, and the, and the willingness uh, to, to, to roll with it um, 
are going to have the easiest time somehow managing a lifestyle change and getting through this. Interesting. So what about character? How important is that to you, even uh, when you're recruiting, say, a star basketball recruit? Are you looking at things like character, or do you just care about their talent, their ability, and their height? That's a great question. Um, you know, you got to have enough Jimmys and Joes to get it done, you know? Um, I'm, a, I'm a good coach because I get really good players, and I get them to play hard and to play them together and play unselfishly. Um, but I do think the environment you're in uh, has a long way to go to uh, developing that character. Um, if you've got a team full of knuckleheads, your guys are going to play like knuckleheads. That's just the bottom line. But if you got a locker room with, where there is character, there's discipline, there's unselfishness, uh, there's a greater understanding that when we are successful, you as an individual will benefit far more than if you as an individual are successful, but the team fails. If the team is successful, you're going to get the glory. If the team does not, then there won't be, a, there won't be any glory, you know, for any of us. So I think character is something that can be developed. It can be taught, but you got to surround them with, you know, other people of character. Like for example, when I hire coaches, you know, some, some people will have a character coach or, or, or whatever. And, and yes, I have a team minister on my team. It's very important. But all my coaches have got to be men of character. If they're not really good fathers, then they're probably not going to be really good teachers. If they're good husbands and they live life the right way and they're not out there running around, that's going to be who I want my guys to be around because it says, look, th this is what matters. And, and I think that rubs off. On, on that younger generation. So let me, and I couldn't agree more, but let me play devil's advocate. You know, you have sure. the superstar coming in from a high school. He was a legend in his high school and he comes to Auburn and, you know, now it's like, hey, it's all about me. How do you get someone like that to actually buy into your philosophy and all of a sudden start gelling as a team? Well, again, that's another great question. Um, first of all, if he comes into a locker room, that doesn't promote the way he was treated in high school and understand that that's, look, that's just not how we roll. Then you got a chance to, 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 to convert him. More importantly, you got to recruit in the right way. I recruit in such a way, I say, listen, and I learned this from Pat Summit, the great legendary Hall of Fame coach at Tennessee. She never had to apologize to the Lady Balls for pushing them in the direction she says she pushed them in. Look, you signed up for this girl. You knew what this was when, when you came in. If a high school star wants to come in here and he's worried about how many shots he's going to get or if he's, if he's here to be a one and done, but it doesn't matter what the other guys are on the team do, then he, he's not welcome in his program. So if I make sure that they understand. Saying, like you're not going to let him come to your, even if he's a star in high school? Yes, because all these kids are stars. They, they're all stars, but there's different levels. Look, young people still want discipline. They do. They want to be led. They want to be coached. Now, they want to be loved. The great coach Pat Dye from, from Auburn, our football coach, said, you can coach them as hard as you love them. And if the kid knows you care about them, look, who can get on you more? I hope your dad's still alive. Your dad's still alive? He is. Thank you for asking. All right. He, does anybody, as a man, does he love you as much as any man's ever loved you? Of course. All right. Can he say, can he tell you the truth? 
Can he challenge you? Can he, can he, you know, when you were growing up, you, your dad could be harder on you than anybody. Why? Because he loved you. He cared about you. And I think if, if you, if you've got to be honest with these kids and look, I'm 60 years old, I've made mistakes, but I've also done some things the right way. And those kids can learn from, from, from our experience. And so, no, I'm not worried about a, a high school star. I want him to be a star. I want him to be great. I, I want him to be selfish and disciplined in his training, but I also want him to be a great teammate and understand that if he's not, he's not going to win. It's been, it's like Popovich's greatest success. Look, it's Belichick. Belichick will tell you, look, when he talks to a player, there's no doubt whether you can or not. The question is, will you? Will you? There's no question you can. You've got the ability, but will you? No, I love that. You, you said something that's almost counterintuitive, is that some of these you know, great players that creatively know how to get the basket in the hole actually are craving discipline and structure. And, and explain to me again why you think that is. But it's my job. Yeah. I'm the head coach. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to hold you to account. Like, I'll tell my best players, look, I'm going to get on you today more than I'm going to get on anybody. And you may not even necessarily deserve it, but there are 12 other guys out there that are going to watch me chew you up one side down the other because you're not doing something. And the rest of the guys say, my goodness gracious, look at the way he's talking to our best player. I'm not going to say squat. And so, you know, Yes, I do think I do think young people still want to be coached. I think they they still want to be great. But you've got to be fair, and you've got to be honest. That's so important. If they catch you, if you if they catch you lying to them, you and, and, and they, then it's you you lose that trust. What about you? Talked about you. You're not perfect. You you make some wrong calls in the middle of a game or in practice Absolutely. or whatever. Is it? Um, important to act like you don't know everything and that you're not omniscient or is that is vulnerability a sign of strength or weakness with your team man just another great call u571 movie you ever seen it yes you remember when the chief pulls the captain aside and they're in a really difficult situation and he said to the captain who was younger than him don't you ever let those boys know that you're that you're afraid or you don't know what to do. They they look up to you. You've got to, and it was a, it was an interesting lesson for me. But I'm not in a life or death situation. I'm not captain of a of a submarine that's at war. And if I was, I'd have to. Get, now listen, there are times I got to give my kids courage. There are times they need to believe that I'm as good or better than the guy down over there at that end over there. They need to believe that. How do they believe it? Maybe they look at our record. They look at the history of success. You know, they, we're in overtime and, and, and they just believe that, that, that we're going to be able to win. So I have to give them a, let of, a level of confidence. At the same time, I, I, I myself don't, I don't believe in uh, being that authoritarian. Um, I'm going to do it the very best of my ability. Uh, I'm going to make the right call most of the time, but when I don't, bail me out. That, that's that's that that's that's been my approach. So, do you think then, if you talked about Belichick earlier and Popovich, and if you think about coaches that do seem a bit more authoritarian, 
Do you think that that's a, a better style than being more vulnerable and, and just admitting head on that you don't have all the answers or is there just different, different strokes for different folks? That's a, I think, I think it's, you know, I, I work for a great coach, Dr. Tom Davis at Boston college, Stanford, Iowa. And I learned how to coach from him. I learned our system. So much of what we do is what he taught me. You want to pay me a compliment? Tell me my teams look like Tom Davis's teams. But Tom Davis and I are completely different people with completely different styles. And one of the pieces of advice that Tom said is when you leave, you, it, it, it wouldn't be a terrible idea to do what we do because you understand it, you know what you've experienced it. But do it your way. Do it with your own personality. Do it with you. That way it's authentic. So Popovich and, and Belichick, they're authentic. That's who they are. And there could be another coach that, um, that can be equally as effective. But if he's authentic and he's real in what he's doing, then he's not playing, he's not acting, he's not thinking about what should I, he's just being himself. And that should be good enough. That way it's gonna be consistent. So just hearing you talk so inspiring, I'm gonna go out on the limb and just um, hypothesize that players that come to you during the course of a year, two, four years, whatever it is, it's a leadership development journey for them in a sense. How do they, during this journey, get more in touch with their own authentic leadership style like you talked about? I mean, what are some of the ways that they get in touch with that and discover who they are as people and as human beings? Jeff, I think one thing that's very important is um, we've somehow created, and this, this may be counter to where, where you're coming from, but we've somehow created this this thinking that the only way you can be great or successful is to lead. And I disagree with that. I don't believe that you, that lead, that you can create, you can teach leadership. You can, under, you can explain it. You can understand it, but you don't have to be a great leader to be great. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's not about being a follower. It's just that I remember when I got to Tennessee, I had a young man named CJ Watson and, uh, they called, him, they called him the silent storm. He played maybe 13 years in the NBA. I only had him for one year. And everybody complained about how quiet he was and the fact that he wasn't a great leader. And they were sending him, like, to leadership training school and things like that. And all he did was learn about what he wasn't, all the things he wasn't. And somehow he was made to feel that because he wasn't those things, he was less than. And I said, CJ, don't worry about it. I can't do anything on the basketball court you can do, but I can lead. You go be the best point guard in the SEC. You go play basketball. You go do what you're great at. Now be a, you know, be a great teammate and be a great playmaker. And yeah, sometimes you got to communicate more in offense and defense. But don't worry about being something that you're not. So I think that it's important that I get my guys to understand who they are, go to their strengths, Stay away from their weaknesses, work on their weaknesses, but don't go to their weaknesses. Go to their strengths. Look, what are you good at? What are you good at? You can't be great at anything unless you're already good at it. Take what you're good at. Spend a lot, of, spend as much time on what you're good at and become great at it. If you take what you're not very good at and you spend that same amount of time, you're just going to become okay at it. You're never even going to be good at it. We should be working on our strengths. We should be recognizing our weaknesses, and that way we have a chance to be great. Um, I had always thought that, you know, a point guard 
actually is kind of a leader, a floor general on the court. Would you agree with that or no? Yeah, I, I would agree with it. But I remember, uh, I, I agree with it, but it, that doesn't have to be the case. Uh, I remember watching, uh, uh, it actually was a, it was a football game, and I don't remember what team it was, but the quarterback was really quiet, and the center was the one that was doing all the talking. And, uh, you know, the, the, the quarterback was the star, and, and, and the center, you know, he basically had some guy's hands up his butt, and he was the one that was leading. And uh, I just don't think, it, I don't think it has to be your point guard. I don't think it has to be the quarterback. Um, but, but I will say this, when leadership comes from within, that team has a chance to win championships. I am able to help my team win games. Coaches can help their teams win games. Coaches cannot really help their teams win championships. That comes from within. That comes from that locker room. When those guys say, look, we're going to get three stops. When those guys start playing, turning down good shots to get teammates better shots. That's when the players decide you know, to do it. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, and, 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 and well, that's what I believe. Players, coaches can win games. We can't win championships. What does success look like for you guys at the beginning of a season? How do you define what the metrics for success are at the beginning of a season? Well, I mean, it's all about expectations. Um, you know, success in my mind is, you know, being the best that you can possibly be and enjoying the process. Uh, I don't, you know, we are great at every game. We win or we lose. There are standings uh, first through 14 in the SEC. And so, you know, they're always keeping score. I understand that. But for me, if we get the most out of what we do, uh, I'm fine with that. I think there's also going to be a component for success. I, I have to win enough games to keep my job. I, that, that's a reality. Um, but, but there's a lot of winning that goes on off the court, whether it be academically. Um, I, I'll give you an example. I think that's, that, that carries over. Um, there's this thing called an APR, the Academic Performance Rating. 10% um, of all Power 5 men's basketball programs uh, are perfect at 1,000. 10%, 90% aren't. Auburn basketball has been perfect for four straight years. Four straight years. The discipline of doing the right things academically, progress towards degree, graduating, GPA, all that stuff, it translates to, uh, to success on the court as well just because of of that difference. that to me that's success um, when we're serving in the community when we're you know it's not just the the women's cross-country team that's going out there and reading in the schools or working at the food bank or visiting the boys and girls club or doing the different it's when your when your team is um that's that that to me is success look giving doing the being the best you can taking advantage of the gifts that god's given you God's blessed my players. They're tall, dark, and handsome. They're blessed. They're talented. So many other people wish they had their gifts. Now, the question is, are you going to take advantage of the blessings that God's given you? Um, we were on the road to the Final Four, and we got someplace that Auburn basketball had never been, and that was the Final Four. Uh, to get there, we had to beat New Mexico State, and it was survive in advance uh, in a 5-12 matchup. We were the only five seed to beat a 12. Um but from that point forward, it was Kansas, North Carolina, the one seed, and then Kentucky, the two seed. Uh, in the history of, of, of the NCAA tournament, nobody has played uh, those three programs back to back to back and beaten them. And so uh, it was, it was it, you couldn't have asked for a better opportunity for us to, to, to go through the Blue Bloods. And so it was sort of the blue collar versus the Blue Bloods, and the blue collar kind of worked, worked its way out. And, 
it was an honor to go up against uh, the great coaches that coached coach those teams and and to know that on that night we were the better team and, and earned the victory. And all three coaches, uh, Coach Self and Coach Williams and Coach Calipari, they were all so gracious uh, in defeat. And it was just an honor to compete against them and, and to be victorious. So you made some friends of mine cry. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I'm actually from Louisville, Kentucky. So I know one of, my, one of my friends, Perry, for sure, was upset that you beat Coach Calipari. Um, what was it? I mean, what was it like? Are they gracious? Do you guys have a good banter with all of, you know, Coach Calipari, Coach Self, you and the others? Well, I don't. I mean, look, those guys are all, you know, uh, those guys are all Hall of Famers. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a grinder. And so, you know, it's important to me that that as a colleague that uh, you're able to garner their respect because I have so much respect for them. But we're in a competitive pr profession. Uh, I think there's more respect uh, for the profession, uh, for what we do to, to change the lives of young people, to have some impact uh, in that way, to contribute on a college campus and, and be able to try and make a difference in, in what you do. Well, in my opinion, there's no question you're on the path to becoming a Hall of Fame coach. Um, and on that path, uh, you know, you, you have to become a better and better leader as well. Uh, what have you learned along the way that you feel comfortable sharing? Maybe a setback that you personally had or what has been an experience that helped you actually become a better coach? You know, I, I, I think as I've gotten older, and I spent more time in studying the Bible. And as I spent more time working on my faith and my relationship with God, I've, uh, I think I've become a better teacher. I've become a little bit more patient. Um, I've made decisions that I feel like may have not been the smartest basketball decision, but it would be decisions that God would bless. Um, give me an example. I mean, I'll give you an example. Let's say you've got 13 guys on scholarship and you're recruiting. And, uh, you know, you can't afford to make many mistakes. And so I play 10 guys, double digit minutes. You got 13 guys on scholarship. You better not make very many mistakes. I rarely, if ever, um, am, am hard on a player to get them to leave. In other words, they call it running them off. I just won't do it. I, I, I've never been big on it, but there's an example of just doing the right thing, treating people the right way, doing what, you know, what God would have you do. And like, one of the things I tell my guys is, is this, you know, what's the greatest way I'll go back to your dad again. You know, for me and my dad, he is a, a left-wing Democrat. He says he's neutral. He's not. I'm, a, I'm fairly right and, and fairly Republican, fairly conservative. And so politically, we're an opposite ends of the spectrum, and we can get after each other like crazy. But the greatest way I can hurt my dad's feelings is to ignore him. The greatest way you can hurt somebody's feelings is to ignore them. And so I try to teach my players who are big men on campus, don't ignore people. Don't treat people well because not everybody else does. And then so therefore, as it relates to getting older, not ignoring God, trying to spend time with him, trying to visit with him, pray, give blessing, give thanks, be the, you know, do some of the things traditionally that would please him. And, and, and honestly, it's just been a, it's been a, been a way for me to, uh, to be the best that I can be. But, but, and I can't think of any other example than politics, especially with you and your father, uh, you know, one being very liberal left wing and one more, much more conservative Republican, you know, and that's something that happens all over the country, as you know. Um, how do you get people to actually uh, leverage that empathy gene that they're born with and really 
take the time to listen to and appreciate someone else's point of view. And does that matter? Well, I'd say what I, your questions are a lot better than my answers. I can tell you, I really, I, I, I that's a great, great question. Um, it does matter. Um, because while I may be speaking to you impassioned about how I feel, I think I, I enjoy, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy people that have got, I like smart people. Uh, and, and that don't share my opinions and that feel differently about, about things. And um, I think it's out of respect. We should respect each other's differences. I think part of it is even being Jewish um, in the sense that we've been such a minority religion. Uh, there's been so much anti-Semitism in the world. You know, I was born in 1960. That was 15 years after they found 6 million dead Jews and 9 million dead people that were murdered by the government of Germany, okay? The government of Germany murdered 9 million people. And if that doesn't open up your eyes to what's possible and what's capable, and and, uh, um, and so I grew up with that. And it's unacceptable, it's just unacceptable. I grew up in the 60s and 70s in Boston and saw forced busing and saw racial tensions and just didn't understand why white and black couldn't get along. We're all brothers and sisters. I just couldn't understand it. And then as I studied the Bible more, I realized, wait a second, my Catholic friends were, were, were hating me because I was a Christ killer? No, Jesus was a Jew. He was born a Jew, and he died a Jew. And that makes us brothers. Oh, by the way, Abraham, the father of all nations. And so for me, it's always trying to bring people together. And the way to do that is to respect each other's differences, to respect each other's way of thinking to challenge each other. It's okay to disagree. And then we got to find a way to come to it uh, in some sort of civilized way. Um, and so I work on that every day. And so I think one of the things that helps make me a, a good coach is I do know how to bring people together from all kinds of different backgrounds to focus on the greater good. And you promote that kind of discourse with your teams and sort of respect that diversity of opinion and actively get them to develop that empathy gene and really take in and hear what people are saying and build upon that. I mean, does that actually make a basketball team better? Yeah, here's, here's what I could translate that to. Be a great receiver. Like, be a great receiver. Look, not all, of, not all of us deliver the message the right way or the same way. You think about what people argue, husband and wife could argue. It's usually because whoever is delivering the message may not be delivering it in such a nice way but it's then the receiver's response to what's being said. And sometimes what's being said isn't so terrible, but it's sort of the way it's being said. So I tell my guys, look, don't go back and forth. If somebody says something to you, whether they're right or wrong, and whether they deliver it the right way or the wrong way, just take it for now. We'll figure it out later. But then if there's a response, and this response is negative, all of a sudden panic, panic ensues on a team or in a relationship. I'm not saying back down, I'm not saying bend over, and I'm not saying that by being a good receiver, you're acknowledging that they're right. But now's not the time in the heat of the battle, in the heat of an argument, in the heat of a discussion. Be a good receiver, hear what they're saying, and move on. And does that translate into more points and more wins in a basketball game? It does because I think you got to know who the opponent is. A lot of times, a lot of times, opponents could be on your, on your, right on your own team. 
It could be like cancer and you're going to, you could, it's going to spread. You got to treat it with chemo. You got to cut it out. And I ain't playing. I'm not having it. As soon as I see it, as soon as I see that cancer, man, we're treating it. We're on it. And guess what? The earlier you find that cancer, the earlier to treat it, the more you're going to die of something else. But if you let that cancer gets to stage one, stage two, stage, you don't even know about it. You're, you're, you're in trouble. I'm going to find that cancer. We're not having that on our basketball team. We're not. We have to know who our opponent is. The, the opponent's the rest of the league. The opponent is not in this locker room. Coach Pearl, I heard a little funny story. I don't know if it's true or not. But did you once tell one of your players to guard the referee during a game at Kentucky? Yeah, I did. Tell me about that. All right, so just in, the only reason I'm going to tell you the story is because if, if, if our fans ever see it happen again, they'll understand. So my first year at Tennessee, uh, was, I don't even remember, God bless. But we go to Kentucky my first year, we win at Rupp. That was the only time I've won at Rupp, I hate to tell you. Uh, and it was only the first time I played there. Chris Lofton knocked down a bunch of threes and a great win. Come back to the following year, and uh, we don't fare so well. It's late in the game. We're down like 14, less than a minute. I call timeout for the T-Bone. Well, the guys have no idea why I've called timeout. We're not going to win. There's no 14-point play. They start to quit. Now, it's it's we're not. I'm not very happy with the whistle, and sometimes we go to Kentucky. It's five versus eight. They're five players, you're five players, plus their three officials. No, don't take that seriously. I was just being funny. And so I tell one of my players, I was really happy with, unhappy with one of the guys. I said, listen, we bring this huddle. You go over and you guard that official right there. Not that guy, not that guy. You go guard that guy right there. And my, he, he's like, what? what? <laughs> my assistant, shut up and go guard that referee when we break the huddle. So we break the huddle, referee puts the ball in bounds, and my guy goes over there and he gets all up in the official's hands, wait. Referee blows the whistle, comes over to me, says, Coach Pro, would you mind telling me what's going on? I said, yes, sir. I said, I said, to my high school coach, he always told me to put my best defensive player on the guy that was hurting me the most. Technical foul. <laughs> <laughs> You're terrible. You're terrible. <laughs> you gotta have a little, you gotta have a little fun every now and then, don't you? Thank you for listening to another episode of Imperfect Leaders. If you'd like to receive free weekly updates, please subscribe at www.imperfectleaders.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next week.